0: took the case, and he started tracking the robber. And eventually, after several weeks, he tracked the robber all the way down in Mexico. But the private investigator, he had a problem. He did not even speak a word of Spanish. So he had to hire a translator. Well, lo and behold, the private investigator uh, finally cornered the the robber uh, in a building there in Mexico. He told the translator, you tell him, I want to know where the money is and I want to know where it is right now. Well, the translator, he translated it into Spanish. The robber replied in Spanish, what money? I don't have any money. The translator told the investigator, well, that infuriated that investigator. He had been working on this case for several weeks and he was just tired of it. He said, okay, I'll tell you what, here's my gun. You tell this guy, you tell this guy, if he doesn't tell me where the money is, I'm going to shoot him right now, right there between the eyes. A translator said, yes, senor, I will tell the man right now. So he turns to the man and he translates it into Spanish. Well, that robber, he starts shaking in his boots and he's scared and he says... In Spanish, he says, uh, the money is in a coffee can, and it's underneath my bed uh, uh, in the hotel down on Main Street, uh, room 205. The translator, he nodded. He turns to the private investigator. He says, senor, he says, he's ready to die. (laughs) You know, sometimes, sometimes the people that we depend on Betray us. What do we do? Life is like that sometimes. People who are supposed to help us betray us. Or maybe our circumstances take an unexpected turn and we find ourselves in a lot of trouble. It happens even to those of us who are following Christ. We are not exempt from trouble. If anything, we open ourselves up to more trouble because of our commitment to Christ. At least that's true for the primary audience that Mark is writing to. We believe that Mark wrote his gospel primarily for the Christians at Rome. And what did they find? They found that after they had become a Christian, put on their Lord, that often their neighbors would turn them in to the authorities. Their friends would stab them in the back and, and rat on them and tell the authorities about what they were doing. And, and they thought to themselves, what's, what's going on? Our life is in turmoil. Our life is taking unexpected turns. What do we do? So how do you respond? How do you respond when you feel betrayed and deserted? How do you respond when life takes a terrible turn? How do you respond when the suffering and the problems are are more than you can bear? Well, we take a cue from Jesus himself. Look at verse 43. And immediately, there's that word that pops up here in the Gospel of, of Mark. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, this is a mob, a great multitude, with what? With swords. With swords and clubs came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. You seize him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi. Can't you just hear it? Can't you just picture Judas doing that? Rabbi, and kissed him. Judas kissed him like a long-lost close friend. That very same word in Greek is used of the woman who anointed Jesus' feet and kissed him continually. It's also used in that story about the prodigal son. It was used of the father who saw his prodigal son returning home from afar off. He ran to him and kissed him. What was this? It was an expression of extreme devotion and love which became the sign of treachery and betrayal. Verse 46. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. I wish wish we could really have a better translation here. Because in Greek, it it conveys violence. Violence violently taking him grabbing him you know not just picking up this it's you know picking it up it's violence that they were bringing upon our lord and one of them who stood by drew his sword and what struck the servants of the high priest and cut off his ear in john john 18:10 Tells us this disciple was Peter. He was trying to make good on his boast. Remember what we talked about this morning? His boast to defend Jesus at all costs. Only he was a terrible swords, swordsman. He went for the head and missed and ended up cutting off only an ear. Luke tells us that Jesus restored the man's ear. This would be Jesus' last miracle that he did before the cross. Or else Peter would have perhaps been arrested as well, and and there might have been four crosses instead of just three. Peter, Peter used the wrong weapon at the wrong time for the wrong purpose with the wrong motive. Peter was fighting a spiritual battle with a physical weapon What had he failed to do? He had failed to pray. Remember, Jesus had spent that time in the garden praying. What was Peter doing? He was sleeping. So he resorts to the sword in his hand, and what does he do? He fails miserably. Verse 48. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out? As against a robber, you know, you got this mob here. You're coming out to arrest one man, me. You got this mob. You come out with swords and clubs to take me. I was daily with you in the temple teaching. All this week I've been there in the temple teaching. And you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled this mob this mob were were all cowards arresting Jesus in a secluded place at night but this happened so that God's word would be fulfilled and that's important I believe for you and me to realize especially when life takes an unexpected turn God is not surprised by what happens. It's all a part of His plan for our good and for our glory and His glory. So when you find yourself in a lot of trouble, what do you do? You trust in God's plan. The conventional wisdom tells us that uh, you ruin a good story by learning about the end before you read the beginning and middle of the story. We know that. But Hollywood has found out something a little different in the last few years. They have found that that often people want to know how how the movie ends. So what they do, they give you the ending pretty early in the movie, and then they have a lot of flashbacks. Here's why. It could be that once you know how the story turns out, you're more comfortable processing the information. And you can focus on a deeper understanding of the story. My friends, we know we know the story, how the story of our life turns out. So along the way, we don't have to worry or be distressed because we know where our eternal reward is for the faithful Christian. Instead, we can focus on gaining a deeper understanding of the story of God's plan. When life takes an unexpected turn, trust in God's plan. Believe that God will fulfill His Word. Depend on it. And don't be faithless. Don't be faithless like Jesus' contemporaries. Those that were around him. Don't be unbelieving. Don't doubt what God is doing. Don't be faithless and desert Jesus like his disciples did. Don't be faithless and abandon him like his original followers did. They did not trust in God's plan. So, what do they do when the mob comes out? They ran. Verse number 50. Then they all forsook him and fled. Now a certain young man. I'm going to come back to that phrase in just a moment. A certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth. I want to come back to that phrase also. A linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young man, and the young men laid hold of him. They're about to arrest him too, about to grab him too, like they have already grabbed Jesus. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Mark is the only gospel which records the account of one of Jesus' followers, a young man running away naked. Many Bible scholars believe that this young man was John Mark himself, the writer of this gospel. You know, he may have been in bed when he heard about what was going on. He gets up and runs out there. He's got just his uh, linen cloth on, his pajamas. And he's going out there to help Jesus. And then he sees that mob. He sees what's going on. They try to grab him too, and he runs just like all of the others. If this is John Mark, why would he include that in his gospel? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you had a dream... Have you ever had a dream, maybe you were in school or maybe at work or whatever, and and you find yourself naked in the middle of a crowd of people? Well, if you've ever had a dream like that, that would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? You know, to have a situation like that happen, that would be embarrassing. How shameful that would be. Well, I believe that's the picture that Mark is trying to paint here. He's trying to paint the shamefulness. The embarrassment of all of the disciples of Jesus running away. Only John follows and Peter at a distance. It was a shameful desertion. In the same way to run back home naked like John Mark was would be shameful. It was shameful for his disciples to do what they did. They ran away from their Lord. Why? Because they all lacked the faith and courage to follow through on their boast. Just hours before, they had made that boast. Peter leading them, but all of them had agreed, hey, we won't leave you. We will be there for you. We will not desert you. They had declared it. You know, words come easy. Sometimes actions take a little bit more, do they not? My dear friends, when problems hit us, that's not the time to to run away from the Lord in shame like Jesus' disciples did. It's not the time to skip out on worship. We need worship. We need to be together like we're trying to come back together after this pandemic that we have been through. It's not the time to abandon the church like so many people do these days. Instead, that's the time to get even closer to the Lord. So when life takes an unexpected turn, don't be faithless and desert Jesus like his disciples did. And second, don't be faithless and denounce Jesus like the religious leaders did. In the midst of your pain and problems and difficulties, don't accuse Jesus of wrongdoing. Don't condemn Him in your own mind. Verse 53, And they led Jesus away to the high priests. And with Him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders and the scribes. That would be the council as we talked in our class this morning. But Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. Peter is right there. You know, he's still at a distance, but he's there. And he sat with the servants. And what's he doing? It's kind of cold, kind of cool. He's warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and all the council, they sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. They're looking for witnesses. How can we accuse him? For many bore false witness against him. But their testimonies, their testimonies did not agree. The Mosaic Law required agreement and the independent testimony of at least two witnesses to condemn a man to death, which they could not find. Because Jesus had done nothing wrong. But that wasn't going to stop them. Just because they couldn't find any witnesses, after all, you know, why let the facts get in the way of your own blind bitterness and hatred? So they kept looking for more witnesses. Verse 57, Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We've heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build it, another made without hands. Jesus, of course, was speaking spiritual, bringing back the body, the resurrection. They're thinking physical. But not even then did their testimonies agree. Verse 60 So the high priest, Caiaphas, he gets more involved here. He stood up in the midst of the council and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus, he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. This doesn't go over very well with the high priest. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? What, what, we don't need any more witnesses. You've heard the blasphemy." What do you think? And they all condemned Him to be deserving of death. They condemned Jesus to die because blaspheming was a capital offense under their law. Jesus had claimed rights and powers belonging exclusively to God, which would have made Him a dangerous deceiver if indeed... He was not the Son of God. Of course He was. Jesus did not leave them, or even us today, with much choice. He is, either, he is either who He claims to be, God in the flesh, or He is the most dangerous deceiver who ever lived. So who is He to you? Or maybe there's a third choice. If Jesus was not God, he's the most deceiver who ever lived. Or maybe he's the most deluded psychopath, psychopath in history. So who is he? To you, don't buy, don't buy into this nonsense that Jesus was just a great teacher. I I hear people say that. Well, he was a great teacher. He's more than just a great teacher. He did not leave us with that choice. With his claim to deity, he's either the Lord of all, which we believe, or he's the greatest liar who ever lived, or the most deluded lunatic in history. Verse 65, Then some began to spit on him, and to blindfold him, and to beat him, and to say to him, Prophesy! And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. What's happening here? They're mocking him. They mocked his claims to deity and personally degraded him as a human being. No greater insult can be given to a person than to spit in his face, to blindfold him, and then punch him out. Jesus... He did not deserve such treatment. But they gave it to Him anyway because they did not believe that He was who He said He was. You know, sometimes in our pain, sometimes in our problems, we have the same trouble, the same difficulty. We strike out at God not believing that He is who He said He is. We say, well, God doesn't care for us. God's not there. God doesn't love me and we end up not believing that He has all power. Not believing that God really cares for all of us. My dear friends, when life takes an unexpected turn, don't be faithless and desert Jesus like His disciples did. Don't be faithless and denounce Jesus like the religious leaders did. And third, don't be faithless and disown Jesus like Peter did. Don't deny your relationship with Jesus. Don't disavow your knowledge of Him. And how do we do that? We do that by the way we live our lives. So that people can't see Jesus living in our daily lives. Verse 66. Now as Jesus was below in the courtyard or as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You, you also were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're saying. And he went out on the porch. And the rooster crowed. That's the first time. And the servant girl We'll see him again here in just a moment. What's happening? What's happening? Peter is denying Jesus. Verse 69. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, Hey, this this is one of them. Hey, you better grab him. He's one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter, Surely, surely you're one of them, for you are Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to do what? To curse, to swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. And a second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Other gospel accounts say that he went out and wept bitterly. Peter broke down and wept for the shame that he had brought upon his Lord. He boasted so loud, hey, I'll never deny you. And he had. This was the kind of situation that Mark's original readers faced constantly. The temptation to deny that they were followers of Christ was very real because they could lose their lives over it. So sometimes they would. That's what Peter feared. He feared for his life. But before we judge Peter too severely, before we point a finger at Peter, let's remember we're pointing three fingers back at ourselves. Because we need to examine ourselves a little bit. How many times have we tried to hide the fact that we are Christians for fear of far less repercussions than losing our lives? For fear of losing a friend... Or for fear of what others might think of us? So we just stay quiet and we don't share our faith? How many times have we denied the Lord and lost opportunities to share the gospel with others? Do we, like Peter, talk when we should listen? Do we argue when we should obey? Do we sleep when we should pray? And do we fight when we should submit? You see, open to those things, especially the way that we plan. Instead of trusting in God's plan, it's so easy to be faithless and desert the Lord, to denounce Him, or even to disown Him. The fact is, we are all sinners, even if we don't like to admit it. But we are. Psalm chapter 14. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become corrupt. There is none who does good, no, not one. Paul would say in Romans chapter 3, All have sinned. All have fallen short. So what do we do about it? What do we do when we finally realize we have been faithless and deserted, denounce or disown Jesus? Well, we do what Peter did. We break down and weep. We throw ourselves on God's mercy. When we have failed to trust in God's plan, we must do what? We must trust in God's grace. His grace to forgive us. God used the shame of defeat to glorify Himself. That's the gospel, my friends. The good news. God can take your shame, my shame, and turn it into a thing of great glory. Great glory. If only we will trust Him to do that. I want to leave with you one final point, and then the lesson's yours. Here's my point. Here's the gospel in a nutshell. You're more sinful than you ever, ever dared to believe, and you're more loved than you ever dared hope. That's the gospel. Are you a Christian? Have you put on your Lord in baptism? As a Christian, has your life been one to testify of the difference that Jesus makes in your daily life? Can people see Jesus living in?